and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome back once again to the Three Dads in a Minivan podcast. I am one of the dads, Greg. Of course, I am joined by my cohorts, Ed and Kev. We are all here, and uh, I see we have a dog making an entrance today for the very first time on the podcast. Is that Chip? That is Chip. I, I I figured if I bring him over here, maybe let him be a part of it, then he, he won't, won't bark. bark. Okay, where is Dale? <laughs> no Dale. Well, I could show you Dale, but that's X-rated. Why is there no Wait, Dale for Chip? I told him a long time ago, if you're going to have a Chip, you need to have a Dale. You need a brother for the dog. And no, we're, uh, we're good. His, now, his wife was all about it. Uh, I think Kevin shot that down real fast. Yep, so sure why? Did. Why? We're good. We got one. We're we're solid. Dogs need companions. You know, not just humans. I love when everybody tries to push like their own agenda on your own household. Yeah, the people do the absolutely. same thing with me. They're like, "Oh, you need to have a dog." I'm like, "No, look, I don't need to have a dog because I don't want a dog." If are you going to come over and walk my dog? Are you going to feed it? Are you going to take it to the vet? No, sure. I'm going to have to do dog. all that. I don't want a dog. <laughs> Maybe because Ed does. If he has to walk the dog, it means he has to do exercise every day, and it's just not on his agenda. Well, that's too. <laughs> I knew it. What's going on, gentlemen? How was the uh, holiday week for you guys? Weekend, I should say. I cooked chicken. I made sure that everybody got to see what cooked chicken looks like season <laughs> on the Three Dads in a Minivan page. Lots of love on there because people said it looked edible, unlike Ed's chicken, which looked scary. So Yes, we, uh, saw, we saw you trolling me again, as always. Oh, I did. That's what I do. Uh, but how was your weekend, boys? It was good. Mine was good. I actually, uh, we finally got the podcast officially launched now. So that's, yeah. that was always a good thing. You know, that that took some work to try and figure it out. I was going back and forth with Podbean in like three o'clock in the morning, like arguing with them because they probably have a simple user interface. But as far as the way that when I get on and do something, I have like old man status. Right. So like, of I'm course. like, I, I can't figure out how to do this dang thing and they're like well just do this and i'm like i don't see it and then i like 10 minutes later it's right in front of me so i felt like it of course i did feel like old man river so wait they can get us with that at three in the morning because that's when i work that's when i did it yeah that's (laughs) when i was doing my work interesting didn't we ask him to to like get on that weeks ago we're like hey make sure we're on apple and spotify and amazon music and he's sending us screenshots (laughs) at 3 47 a.m hey look we finally got on google all right I laugh, though, because I always put myself in somebody else's shoes, right? So, like, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, there's probably, like, some, like, call center somewhere. And, you know, they're just chilling, maybe playing some cards or whatever. Nobody's really bothering them about website podcasting at 3 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and then it's me with my grumpy emails and texts. And, you know, somebody's just like, oh, God, we have to deal with this guy now. <laughs> That was me. Oh, God bless them. God they, bless them. They got us on. We're up and running. And it's cool because I always like seeing um, they have like a breakdown statistics and it'll show like, you know, view, uh, listens. I was going to say views, but listens, downloads, uh, episodes, everything in breakdown. But my favorite part is and and me. And, so me and Kev and um, Navajo used to have a podcast back in the day. Mm-hmm. And our favorite thing to do with the podcast is to look to see who's listening where that was always a fun game that we used to play so on top well, of that was obviously, that was ed's game yeah it was my yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> on top of the continental united states we got listeners in the united kingdom india romania and norway what yeah really okay well, the, i mean the, 
The person in India didn't listen too long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, whoever you are. They don't have a long tune in. I know. I think they tuned us in and tuned us out (laughs) real fast. Maybe it was a mistake. They accidentally (laughs) clicked on something else. They were like, oh, wait, they say minivans. They didn't talk about minivans at all. And I was looking, I was looking for like a how to to fix my stuff. Yeah, yeah they 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 thought it was like a Honda Pilot, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. Or, or some sort of minivan guide. Wow, the do's and don'ts. Yeah, well, thank sorry, you. Sorry to about our, that, inter- dude, our international media. fans, wherever you are. Thank you for tuning in to the Three Dads in a Minivan podcast. So, so in my perusing around the internet, three a.m. in the morning, and and bothering the hell out of Podbean. <laughs> Nice. There, there's their customer support center. I always look for like I'm always scrolling through. I just like looking at stupid stories and stuff that I see. So this is a few days old, obviously, when we're recording this. But did you guys? I sent it to you about the pot. I don't know if you read it about the pilot who threatened to turn back because passengers were airdropping nude pictures to him. Oh yeah, I did yeah, see this. Yeah, he he went full on like dad. He uh, did. You know, don't make me turn this plane around. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, Which okay, wait a minute. Funny. What was the what was he trying to what was he trying to attain really? Because I get it, like as a as a captain, you're just trying to f- fly the plane, right? And then all of a sudden you get a bling bling, and it's like you look down at your phone and you're like, you have a you know, airdrop from some person you have no idea. <laughs> now, tell me if I'm wrong, because I don't airdrop a lot, but I'm pretty sure when you airdrop. You get a preview picture, don't you? Like it says like so-and-so wants to drop you and you get like a little, it shows you a smaller version of that picture. So here's a couple things first. Why are you looking at your phone, you know, while you're trying to fly in a plane, right? If we can't text and drive, are you allowed to text and fly? I would think not. I would think your phone needs to be put away somewhere so you can concentrate on flying. So were they already in flight? No. Okay, taxiing. So, he was taxiing. Okay. It's it's almost okay. like you're a red light while you're driving. To him, okay. that was he was taxiing. But why would you have to address the entire plane well, and and state what he stated? You know I, I, mean? think I don't you understand get it. To the story for people that don't know. Yeah, and please get into it a little bit more, and, because, and then we can ju- then we can jump in a little bit more because I have questions. Yeah, so the pilot was operating a Southwest flight to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, and he started. So he started getting these pictures, like we were saying, through <laughs> the airdrop feature. Yep. So he hops on the intercom, and this is what he said. So here's the deal: if this continues while we're on the ground, wait, 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 you got to start over. You got to kind of. Oh yeah, I forgot. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to make the noises. Uh, so here's the deal: uh, if this continues while we're on the ground, um. Uh, we're gonna have to pull back to the gate. Everybody's gonna have to get off, and uh, we're gonna have to get security involved. And uh, vacation's gonna be ruined. So, uh, you folks, whatever that airdrop thing is, uh, quit sending naked pictures. Let's get yourself to Cabo. <laughs> well, again, think about that. He went full on dad mode. Like, I'm gonna turn this plane around if you guys don't stop airdropping nudes to everybody. And that's what, to me, the the funny part of this whole story is is whoever was doing it on the plane mm-hmm. basically said, whatever phone shows up on this airdrop, I'm dropping a D pick. Like, I mean, was my it a man D-pick? was ready to party, bro? Was it a Whoever dude or a was. chick? I don't, I don't know. Did I don't he say know. if it was a guy or a girl? No, the they, he just said nudes. Okay, uh, yeah. so we don't know if it was a female or a male. 
you know, well, mm. regardless, I mean, if it's a female and it's the pilot, you know, and, and he, you know, saw that little picture and said, well, I'm going to open this up. And, you know, or he thought maybe it was something to do with like Super Mario's. He saw a little mushroom and he opened it up thinking he was going to get superpower. So, but here's the funny part was it wasn't just the pilot, just so you guys know, it was other passengers on the plane. So like this guy, he was with his 14 year old son and he said people began receiving this, is what they say, see, this is where the news story starts like exaggerating the terrifying airdrop message. It says, I was sitting next to the lady who got it first. Then a guy sitting next to my son got it. It caused a frenzy throughout the whole plane. Oh boy. Okay, well, so it just went like airdrop crazy, mm. and I don't, I don't know whose nudes these were, but somebody was trying to get their their frontals out there in full exposure for everybody to see. Okay, and they got well, it. I still think, um, is it the job of the of the captain of the plane though no. to address that? It's not. That's Listen, what I'm saying. Like he's either the stewardess or like somebody else. So for the captain to get on there and say that. I just don't think it's necessary. Listen, let's say the two of you were in the cockpit of the plane, flying the plane, and you're taxiing. The two of you are taxiing the plane, right? Mm. Greg's pilot, Kev's co-pilot, whatever. And all of a sudden, doom, you get that message. Aren't you guys going to start, like, busting out and dying laughing? Yes. Like, I mean, you're really not going to be like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> we need to do something about this. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm going to think it's funny, but I, I also think, it, you know. You're not going to address it's that. Some, well, no, it's, somebody's going to have to. Right, but that's what the stewardesses or stewards or whatever, you know, the male female version is. That's their job, I would feel like, to please address that on the overcom speaker or whatever. Just say, you know, unfortunately, somebody accidentally like don't I just feel like calling attention to it is just making it worse. You know, not everybody probably had their airdrop on if they did have it on. Then let the stewardess address it and say, you know, there was obviously a mistake. Please disregard the message. We apologize for, you know, any inconvenience or whatever. I just think that the captain, that's not their job to do that. At all. No, but I mean, it, it, you think about it. If you go right to the captain, like you, there's no one more important on that plane than the captain. So if the captain's going on, knock off the nudes, you know, you're like, oh, shit. I mean, I get I'm that too. I'm you also know, wondering. I get it, but I'm wondering why is the captain even looking at his phone to see? You know what I mean? That's where my head goes. Like, why are you looking at your phone right now, dude? Like, you should be paying attention to air traffic control and the <laughs> and the knobs and the handles in front of you. Why are you looking at your phone for nudes? Well, if they're well, I don't think he was looking for nudes. I think they just kind of showed up. I mean, but if you're just sitting there and you're in the cockpit, you're waiting to get clearance from the tower, saying that you can, you know, take off and stuff like that. He might be sitting in the, in his chair crushing candy, and then all of a sudden a little airdrop comes. Comes up and then he sees a mushroom and he's like, ah, mm. okay, we gotta, we, we can't be doing this. I get oh, it. God. I just, I guess it could go both ways. I guess you could look at it either way. You could look at it as the captain should not be getting involved in that situation, should just fly the plane, do what you're there to do. And then the flip side of that is, like you just said, you're disturbing the entire flight. If I'm the captain, this is my flight. You know, I'm responsible for the people on this flight. Um, I can see I can see that side as well, but we don't know if it's a male or female. Can we get to the bottom of that? Was it a woman who sent the nudes or was it a man who sent the nudes? We have no. I'm going to go yes, ahead and put money man. on it that it's a dude. It was I a don't man. think so. Yeah. It was it a was, man. Was, I, no, I, mean, I said I'm going to guess, too. I mean, I, that's I was thinking it was a, I was thinking it was a woman because maybe she thought the captain was cute 
and figured, hey, no, I'm but gonna... it wasn't just going to the captain. It was, it was throughout like the plane. Everybody, the whole plane was getting it. I so get it. Doing that, it's or, not a chick. It could have been oh, a prank. I'm put my boobs out there. It's a dude. Yeah. that probably came from the airport Applebee's after crushing a bunch of two for ones. <laughs> said, dude, this is gonna be funny. And, oh boy. And drop the D pick for everybody in the plane. Yeah, but does he know? Because listen, let's just call for what it is. All right, boobs are not like graphic. Like it doesn't matter what they look like. I mean, they just they're not graphic. But a man's a man's loins, like it just there's just nothing. (laughs) Loins. There's nothing like. Like you just when it pops up on a screen, a video screen or a movie screen or anything like that. If you're watching a movie and it just pops up, it's just like uh, you just you can't like and we have one. And I just I it, and so I could see it popping up on that captain screen. And he's like, oh, I don't want to see this. I don't see this. <laughs> you know, like and that's kind of how know, I'm though, looking at it. When like, you get airdrop, don't they know it's your number? Can't they figure out who sent if- it? Not if you've labeled it like you can label it, whatever you want. It would come up and say, you know, D-pick phone or wiener phone. Uh, so, you know when, what I'm saying? So I feel, the, I feel the FAA can track that somehow, man. Well, they can figure either out either or. It. But like I said, I mean, if, if you're going on a plane and you think it's a big joke and you're going to do this joke, yeah, you know, nine times out of ten, it's going to be a dude pulling that kind of joke right. over a chick. You know, no chick's going to sit there and say, well, this will be funny. I'm going to put my boobs all out there. (laughs) No, but a guy will be like, oh, dude, this is going to be funny. Yeah, it's just that's what we do. Dumb stuff. Dudes. Dudes. All right. Well, I'll give you that one. I just I I, the whole time thought it was a chick. Well, see, there's a difference, too. When When I get on a plane, I just put my headphones on. I download my Netflix movies. I just lock in. I'm just like, I'm out of it. Like, even when the, the stewardess comes around to ask me, you know, what I want, a flight attendant, I should say nowadays, right? But what I want, do I want a snack? I want a drink. I just don't even pay attention because I'm just, I lock into my Netflix. That's what yeah. I do, too. I, I put on Netflix. I ask for a drink. I don't turn that down. Um, And then I'm just, however long the flight is, I'm just sitting there watching movies. But um, speaking of Netflix, have you guys seen that documentary on Woodstock called Trainwreck? Dude, uh, first of all, I lived it. Well, I, I was know, there. And, I, and I'm going to get to that. But, Ed, if yes. you haven't seen it yet, it is an amazing documentary. And, you know, I remember Woodstock 99. I wasn't as lucky as Greg to go to it, but I remember seeing it. On MTV, I remember the whole thing about it and how, what a big Uh-oh. deal it Kept was and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it it's a really good documentary. And I wanted to ask you, Greg, what was your experience like when you went to Woodstock 99? Because I want to know how it was for you versus the way they break it down in the documentary. So from my perspective, I thought the documentary filmmakers nailed the the scenario, the whole setup. I, I was not privy to what was happening in the background. Um, so to see the documentary and to be able to see really what was happening behind the scenes, because we were in front of the scenes the entire time, was pretty remarkable to see um, how they did not handle things, how they thought that things were going great um, for us. We were very fortunate, like because we were in a Winnebago full of wild listeners. And for people that don't know, back in 99, 
Wild, which was the station we all obviously worked for, um, sent a Winnebago. We had a big contest. People got to try out to win their way on the Winnebago. We had a big audition thing at Frankie's Patio in Ybor City. So we had this big event. We figure out who our characters are going to be. And um, we literally packed up at the radio station parking lot and headed up to Rome, New York. Now, this was also during the time of Road Rules, uh, MTV's Road Rules in Real World. So we made it extremely fun for our listeners to do these road rules type challenges the entire way up um, to New York. Like we had one of the guys, Brian, put on one of the girls bathing suits and was out uh, on the side of the road in a bikini with a sign that I don't remember what the sign said. We made him ask for something and see if anybody would actually pull over. And so we really made it fun and engaging for them. We get to Rome, New York and where you actually had to park. Uh, your vehicles was in a field in an area just down the road from the Air Force Base where it took place. So we had to get you would get bussed in every day. So wherever you parked, they'd have buses coming every 10 minutes. You'd hop on a bus. The bus would drop you off at the uh, at the Air Force Base. So we were, again, very lucky that we could go enjoy the concert event uh, and each day get back on the bus and make make our way back to our home base, which was the RV, which was in a parking lot. We had running water. We had air conditioning um, and we had food and drinks. Not a lot, though. So now that's my first question, then, because in the documentary, yep, they don't address that at all. There's not they, any well, mention of be, being you know, bust in and out. Yes, it was. There was. Oh, see, then I missed that part because I thought it. it was just like the old no, no. Woodstock where it was the camping ground Correct. and that's no, where no. you slept. Right. There was, well, there was two variables. At the very beginning of that documentary, they actually show people parking in a in like an area and walking down to get on buses to go uh, to the military base. There was campgrounds also on, on premises. Premise. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Which were hardly campgrounds. I mean, again, you're talking about a... a uh, a retired, so to speak, military airfield. So there's not a whole lot of camping grounds on a military base. So it's just a lot of pavement everywhere. There were some empty field areas, but it's just pavement. There was no shade, like nothing. That was 100% on point. So again, we were fortunate though, though, that we were able to go back each night and have an area to take a shower, a 90 second shower, and clean off all the filth that was all over you, have an air conditioned area to sleep at night. So we were very blessed in that regard that we could go be a part of the madness and then leave each night. We didn't have to stay on the campgrounds. But I will say this, the chaos and the, the rage we all felt it because they were 100% gouging the 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 um the festival goers for you to get a bottled water or a small little salad you had to walk probably a mile and a half just to get to that area they did not have concessions food water stations anywhere around the main area of the stages they were just in a different area so by the time you would walk to go get a water, it was a thousand degrees outside. By the time you go get a bottle of water and try to get back to the field area where you were posted up, by the time you got back, it was already hot. The bottle of water cost $5. A side salad cost $15. That was in a little side. Oh like God. They were just raping kids on prices. And <clears throat> by that second day, it was starting to bubble over. 
Not only that, but the fact that the infrastructure collapsed, the fact that the porta potties and the clean water became just a sewage dump, and people did not know any better that we're literally like doing sl- like they were trying to go old school Woodstock and we're going to go down the mudslide. That ain't mud, sweetheart. And right. I, mean, I have I have pictures oh. of all of this. I have people that were naked. I'm taking pictures and like they have no idea the filth that they're in right now. So. All of this for, for for days is just festering and bubbling over, and you could feel it in the air that this is not going to end well. And so the that's that second so day you in, could sense that, like, oh you, yeah, being there on Bro. on site yes. and enjoying the festival, yes. you could sense the the anger and the people being like just pissed off because of how they were treated. How you were treated, the facilities, the fact that nothing was convenient. Um, there was disconnect. If you needed help, good luck finding it. Um, you kind of knew when Wyclef um, was on the stage and when they started throwing bottles. Now, mind you, they were plastic bottles or whatever, but we were also in the crowd and people just started chucking bottles. And there's bottles coming from everywhere. So they're hitting you. You know, you're picking bottles and throwing them too. That's when it really started getting tense, when people are starting to throw things. Um, You could just tell people were just fed up. It was hot. It was miserable in that regard. I mean, I was having a good time. I didn't care. But you could could sense it. You could feel it was bubbling over. Um, And then that night when it was Limp Bizkit, obviously right before Limp Bizkit was DMX. And so you're getting this really rageful you know music coming and that again was just all the build-up the festering rage against the machine metallica like just hard like these lines were hard and so it just was a culmination to what you saw on that final day we actually left um that final day before the riots started um, but again, we could sense that first of all, we were exhausted by that point because we've been up for three days. We went to the rave, uh, which, again, that was 100 percent spot on when they were talking about Moby and uh, Fatboy Slim and the rave. And that person drove that vehicle right into the middle of the rave. And they're like, what is happening right now? There was no law. wait. So you were in the yes. hangar at yes. that rave. Yes. When yes. the car that was stolen, yes, and then <laughs> went in the there, dude. illegal activity that was happening inside of the van. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't know anything about that. Well, I no, no, and, then, and it says that on the documentary. No, no one, nobody knew, knew what was happening. People, right, right. You just thought this is just part of the pandemonium and the craziness. I will say this: when the lights went out in the hangar for the rave, which started at like two in the morning, one in the morning, um. Literally, people just pulled out cardboard signs that and held up the cardboard sign that had every kind of drug listed on it. Mushrooms, ecstasy, LSD, acid. What do you need? I got you. Like literally like the guy at the ballpark. Like, I got bare hair. It's like, I got LSD. <laughs> right, I got right, mushrooms. Right. Hey, let me get uh, three of those mushrooms. And, uh, let me get a bag of LSD. Illegal drug vending guy. Bro, there was no, there was complete <clears throat> lawlessness because again, Security wasn't doing anything. There was no police. Like it was literally just a free for all. And crazy. It was insane. And again, you don't quite grasp that because I was in my early 20s. You know, we were just in the moment, obviously working for the radio station. So it was just a whirlwind. Um, And we left before the riots. Thank God we left before all of that started because it got very ugly. But I will say, if you have not seen the documentary, 
you should watch it because I thought they did a fantastic job really grasping what happened with that event, um, how insane it got, um, how bad things were behind the scenes, which again, we were not privy to any of that. So I'm glad I got to see really what was going down. Um, but it was a shit show of epic proportions. Well, once I watched it, I immediately thought of you and the trip and, and, you know, obviously us working at the station, I knew, you know, you had done that and everything. So uh, I'm watching and I'm, I'm thinking right away. All right, next podcast, I got to talk to Greg about this because again, from the, from someone who didn't go and then, uh, just kind of knowing bits and pieces about it and, and, and the things that you saw on MTV news and Mm -hmm. the things that you hear about, and and then you see that documentary and you're like, holy shit, yeah. you know, uh, because even like when you bring up the mud, right? Mm. When you're sitting there watching it on TV, you think, oh, well, it rained. And then they did the whole Woodstock thing. And then you realize, <laughs> oh, that's that's not mud, no. <laughs> mud, but it wasn't made with just water and dirt. No, no. Uh, and, and, you know, then you see that and then you realize that was the only bathrooms. And if they're not cleaning those bathrooms, like it's overflowed, it, bro. And they're not even doing anything to nothing. like help clean it. Situation. Nothing. Nothing. They're not doing. I mean, like you said, with as far as water stations, yep. as far as, okay, yeah, this is a festival. Where are people to go and shower right. and like even just do the, the normal hygiene thing? Not, like they're none of it. And I'm not saying in a festival situation, you've got to have this, you know, elaborate setup um, with top of the line showers and facilities, but you would need at least an area right. that is somewhat clean right. so that you can then go and get clean. And so that it's just not this, you know, revolving door of filth and, yes. and funk For and days. And and that's what it was. And me sitting there watching it, I was blown away. Yeah. And I sat back and said, I'm glad I didn't go to that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I too mean, bu- it, I'm too bougie for something like this. I'll tell well, you not right when, now. But, but like Greg said, he went when he was in his you know early 20s. 20s right. You're, you're not bougie then. No, you know, you're not you, thinking you about that. You get older and then you get bougie. Correct. Um, but, but, but even then, you think like, man, that was probably fun for about a day. And then yeah. it seemed like it was miserable. And that's why I felt awful watching the documentary for the kids that drove there or were dropped off um, and thought that, like you just said, if I have a camp, if I bring a tent, I'm going to be in a camp area. I'm going to have access to water and bathrooms. And then when it became a shit show, literally, and you, re- you literally <laughs> and you yeah. realize you realize you don't really have a safe haven. Your tent is exposed. You have no clean water. Um, you you only brought so much money and didn't realize you were going to have to spend $5 for a bottle of water or $22 for a hamburger and all these things like to survive. It became survival mode. That's why they raged because it was a survival thing. It became almost like Lord of the Flies. I mean, it was yeah, right. It literally was like, I don't know. It, it, it's just hard to put yourself back there again. I try to mentally put myself back there. And again, we were just very fortunate that we each day could go back to a place that was safe, that was air conditioned, that we could take a shower and clean. Um, we had food and drinks on the, on the Winnebago. We were extremely bougie more than everybody else out there in that, in that time. So, you know, it's insane, man. It was insane. So as we kind of wrap it up, cause I know we're, we're getting close on time. Um, and I'm kind of hit you on the spot with this. 
from what you can remember, give me your best moment that maybe wasn't on the documentary and your worst moment that you experienced at Woodstock 99. Um, I would say the best moment for me again, um, God, it was just, it was such a, a whirlwind of, I mean, I know really, that's tough. It is tough because there was a lot of cool moments. Um, there was a storm that was, that was rolling in right on the day. Uh, I think it was day two, um, where rage against the machine was going to be followed by a Metallica and, me and Brian, who was one of the listeners, we we figured we're going to try to get as close as we can to the stage, knowing we're not going to get anywhere near close to the front. <laughs> right, right. But let's just try to push our way as close as we could. And it took a while because you saw that crowd, right? It, it was unlike anything you've ever seen. Like, I've never seen anything like that where it's just like for miles, it's just people. So um, we pushed our way towards the front for DMX um, and kind of got up and, and got to watch DMX do his thing. But we were there for Rage Against the Machine in the middle of that crowd. And then there was a warning that there was a uh, some inclement weather was on its way in. So what did the promoters do? They pulled all the signage off of the stage. You saw that massive stage. with the yeah. love. They pull all the signage off. So now you legitimately have nothing but a metal framed stage for Metallica. It was all metal, everything. And so you didn't know if they were going to perform because it was getting windy, it was breezy. But then Metallica comes out and rages. And so you're just like, I just literally watched DMX rage against the machine and then watched a storm come through to the where they felt that the best thing to do was take all the signage down. So we had just have an open metal stage for Metallica. <laughs> Unbelievable experience. Got to the point, though, that we were getting pushed and, and like, I'm like, we have to get out of here. So we literally tried to like B-roll our way backwards to get out of the crowd, which we did. But it it's kind of scary yeah. when you get in those situations, because if you can't move, you're surrounded panic attack. Like yeah. it was going to a, yeah. So um, I told Brian, if we just have to start trucking people, let's go. Like you put your, I literally told him, put right. your arms up like this and I'm going to just go. Yep. And then we got our way out. Um, So that was kind of like a, a twofold for your question. Sure. The, sure. The cool part was to be in that environment, to never, never experience anything like that. But then on the flip side to be like, Oh shit, we're stuck. And if we can't get out of here, I'm going to freak the F out. And so, that was kind of nerve wracking at the same time. So to be able to push, push our way through, but I, it's just a whole experience. I mean, again, there were so many highs and lows, more highs for us than lows uh, through that whole experience. But um, we did take some, some illegal substances. I remember that. And there were some dudes there from like Norway that had these goggles. And I was like, dude, like what, what's with the goggles, man. And he's like, dude, you got to put them on, bro. And I was like, all right. So he gives me his goggles and I put on these goggles. Everything became like a reddish tint, right? Because they were like ski goggles. And I remember looking around because of all the blimps and the um, the uh, airplanes and everything around me. And all you see is a sea of people everywhere, right? And the, the, the illegal substances started kicking in. And I remember looking at the crew and I'm like, this is the end of the world. This is how it ends. <laughs> I was like literally thinking this is well, how it ends. Because I'm looking around. It looks like aliens in the sky. Everything's yeah, yeah. red. It's raging. I'm like, this is the end of the world. This is this is how we go out. It's just a but there's a no seats at this this place. You can't None. just sit down. No, no. It's seats. a big field. There's no seats, Ed. You bring a blanket. 
And so that was it. And we just, uh, we raged out, man. Well, so, uh, again, to experience, it was definitely one of those life. Um, it was definitely one of those life changing moments um, to have been a part of such a cool experience. But now all these years later, looking back on how insane it was, insane it was, it's, <laughs> it's hard to grasp. I mean, it brought me right back to it. When I watched that, that special, it brought me right back there. So it was, well, uh, I would say probably about 60% of the people must've been wearing those goggles because everybody felt like it was the end of the world. By the way, you watch that documentary towards that end of the night, when they started setting fires and see, I gotta watch this. I don't know anything you guys are talking about right now. You have to watch it. It's like a three part special, I believe. Um, yeah, it's a, it is a great documentary. Very well done. I remember you going, Greg. I remember when I was with the station, I remember you going, but I, I don't, I mean, and I actually, I was in New Jersey at the time. Cause I remember watching it on TV. They aired it. I think they aired yes, it on MTV. It maybe. Don't you remember like when Carson Daly and, um, you know, some of the VM, the VJs were were up on the stage. They were getting pelted with yep. bottles. Like that was when all that was happening. And they're like, "This is not safe. Uh, we're going to move." Uh, because again, you know, it was just one of those situations where things were going left very fast. And if you have an entity like MTV, who's like, "This isn't safe. Like we're coming under attack. This is not good." That should have been the moment right there. They're like, "We need to fix this. Not just." Keep going. And from what I remember watching it on MTV, they did a very good job not showing like the intensity of it. Like, yeah, you saw Carson, you know, daily getting hit by the bottles. But then you think, oh, man, it's just it's it's, just a party. It's wild. Having a good time. (laughs) Having no idea that the, the bubble that was about to burst. Yes. Um, but anyways, crazy. Greg, I, Greg, I had to really talk interested. It. Like I said, when I watched it, I thought of you and I wanted to get your kind of insight on it. And, and Ed, do yourself a favor. Well, I am and have time. And anybody listening, this is not a sponsored uh, podcast by Netflix <laughs> no. by any means, which, which uh, hey, in a few weeks, it might some, be, <laughs> it might be as much yeah. Netflix as we keep talking, <laughs> but it is a, it is an outstanding documentary. It is. It is. And I actually well worth the watch. I documented everything myself. I actually have a photo album of everything that I Put saw. It up. Yeah, share some of well, the, the pictures. Pro- the problem is um, it's like where you had disposable cameras. So I actually have film. So I, they're in it like it's in a photo album. It's not like I have any digital pictures. It would take forever to scan them and everything. Scan no, them you just all take a picture them. with your cell phone. It's not the same. Ed. It's not the same. I, if you want me to do that for your enjoyment, I would love to do that. Just for do you, a couple of them so we can share it on the post. And that would be I you got you to put a couple of them up. Just, I'll to, put just the to... one of the people dancing together naked uh, while they're kind of naked in the in the poop water. Um, <laughs> you know, I've got some random rando shots uh, uh, from from that. I could probably put up like when we were in the crowd for DMX and just the staging yeah. and like the people and like some lady was like butt ass naked and she had her self body painted and like just don't air drop them to your pilot you might not hey. get where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny stuff ed all right so is that it are we done that, went that is really it fast it is today. it is gonna wrap for us so we need Dang. people to share this we need people to go in like us and and love us and everything you can possibly do on apple and itunes and everything like that so we get we get moving here up the charts rock and roll all right well like you said uh thank every- you india thank you norway <laughs> yes shout to india <laughs> all right we'll see you guys next week three dads in a minivan signing off three dads in a minivan <laughs>